through February 28th, get a choice of offers from Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, like up to 24 months no payments and no interest, or up to $1,125 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I, I don't know what you tell people nowadays. Now, you know, we, we talk a lot on this program about the, the car thefts and stuff, and it, it you know, a couple of years ago, we, we got to a point where we, that would be in law enforcement, public officials, had to instruct people that, look, it's, it's not like it was in 1970 or 19, even 1980. You, you can't leave your car outside running when it's cold outside to warm up, because if you do, the, the chances are better than even that that car is going to be gone in 60 seconds, because there's roving groups of people who are apparently driving around the, the city looking for targets of opportunity. Hey, there's a car. The car is running. All right, let, let's just take it. There's nobody in there. So we, we know that. So the message is don't leave your car unattended and running. It will, in fact, be stolen. Well, then that's changed a little bit, because now it's not just don't leave your car running and unattended, but it's don't leave your car doors unlocked and unattended, because even if that car is in your driveway, there are roving bangs, groups of, of punks and thugs, whatever, who are just looking for those targets of opportunity, and if your car is unlocked, well, they're going to go in it, and they're going to steal whatever they can possibly steal, and it might be if you leave your key fobs in there, well, that's going to be gone. If you leave your garage door opener in there, well, okay, they're going to use that to come back and break into your house, so it's like don't don't leave your car unlocked. Well, it's now become that I don't know what you have to do with your cars anymore. Here's the latest story about this. Milwaukee police say early yesterday morning, that would be Wednesday morning, that at least eight locked vehicles that were parked near 29th and Lapham. So, you know, we're talking the south side. We're talking Mitchell and, and Lapham there off of 29th Street. At least eight separate cars were broken into um, on, that were parked on the street. These cars were not left running and unattended. These cars weren't left unlocked. But apparently what happened is you had a, a group of people that just busted windows on all these cars to get in them and rifle through the cars in an attempt to see if there was anything valuable that was left in the car. You know, um, the, the neighbors are, are just frustrated because... This, this is not the first time that something like this ha has happened. And, you know, Fox 6 does an interview with at least one of the people. She says, you know, I, I, I come out and nothing was taken from inside my car, but the driver's side window is, is blown out. It, it's busted in. Somebody had gotten in the car and looked around. There wasn't anything of value in it. But still, I mean, all right, here it is, the middle of winter. I've got to drive to the, you know, auto shop. I've got to fix it. It's 270 bucks. I, I don't know if it's covered by insurance or not or what the deductibles are. But here you have something that, again, you have people who are just going up and down the streets randomly busting windows in cars. So now don't leave your car unlocked. Now it's don't leave your car with the keys anywhere. And now I, I guess the message is just don't leave your car anywhere where it can be accessed because 
there's going to be people that bust in. And once again, the police, they, they don't have any information about this. They're, they're not catching the people that are doing this. The woman who's the victim of this particular thing, along with lots of her other neighbors, says someone needs to do something about all the issues with cars. I know I'm not the only one. It's not just my neighborhood, but it's around the city entirely. Yeah, it is. And the story concludes by saying Milwaukee police are looking for the people that broke into these vehicles. Well, I, I'm sure they are looking for the people that, you know, broke into these vehicles. But good luck finding them. I guess maybe, you know, maybe, you know, two or three nights from now when the group is out at 2 o'clock in the morning with baseball bats and crowbars breaking into other cars, you know, maybe somebody's going to roll up on them. And assuming they're not able to run away, maybe you'll catch one or two. But you, you really have an out-of-control situation. And I don't know what the answer is, but I can't imagine living in a community where now you you can't leave your car on the street in front of your house for fear that it is going to be vandalized. And at some point in time, somebody's got to wake up and say, we've got to do something about this. But I, I don't know what it's going to take to have that happen. All right. Let us get started. Story reported in several of the, on several of the local television stations involving Greenfield High School. So here's, here's the way TMJ4 reports it. The varsity boys basketball coach at Greenfield High School resigned as the school investigates an incident between a member of the team and the athletic director. Some Greenfield High School families want the athletic director fired after claiming he repeatedly used a racist term against the student. All right, so so here's the story. 17-year-old student says, this is his story, says that last week um, he was trying, he was outside the lunchroom, and he was trying to get a cell phone back from a friend. Now, this is the kid's story. Kid says what happens is the athletic director comes up to him and says, well, this is what he says specifically, quote, he goes, come on, boy, we're going into the lunchroom right now, boy. Do you want to be called boy now? Um, I don't like call me boy, he said. I didn't like it at all. I thought it was beyond racist. I told him multiple times, don't call me that word. I don't like it. And he continued to call me that same word over and over again. And and the young man is a person of color. So his mom, who's now gotten on this bandwagon, says, look, my, my kid is pretty laid back. For him to be that upset, I was really upset. In response, the young man's teammates on the varsity basketball team wore practice T-shirts that said, my name is not boy, as they got ready for a game to show their support and to make the point. Um, one of the parents of one of the other kids on the basketball team says, I just couldn't believe it in these days and times with everything that's going on in the world. Our boys are amazing boys, all of them. They don't get in trouble. The principal seemed very appalled. He was bothered by what was said, but we haven't heard anything else. TMJ says they request an interview with the athletic director and the superintendent. Um, Greenfield High School's principal met with current parents, but they're not going to comment on the specifics of the conversation. So the school said it, it may investigate further if information from the conversations and parents warrant it. Uh, the school board says they are investigating the claim. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's let's kind of break this down. So let us, for the sake of, of our conversation today, let's assume that this this is this is true 
that you have the the young man who's 17 years old who gets confronted last week in the lunchroom by the um, by the athletic director who, in directing him to do something, and I don't know if the kid was in the right or wrong, but in directing him to do something, refers to him as a boy. Come on, boy, we're going in the lunchroom right now, boy. Um, and he apparently, the kid's story is, I, I said, hey, don't call me boy, and the athletic director repeated that. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If this is, in fact, true, what should happen to the athletic director, if anything, in this case? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't get the idea that there's allegations of physical abuse or anything like that, but the young man's story is, hey, he, he, he kept calling me boy, and I told him I told him not to do it, and as a person of color, you know, you, you shouldn't be calling me boy. Maybe you shouldn't be calling anybody boy anymore. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where should Greenfield go from here? We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The, the, the story out of Greenfield to me is interesting on a, on a number of of levels and a couple of people are texting in saying there's been a new development haven't confirmed that yet but the allegations are last week one of the one of the kids on the basketball team who is a, a person of color who, who is black says that that he's confronted by the athletic director and I don't know the whole circumstances behind this but the athletic director wants the kid back in the lunchroom and starts referring to him as boy come on boy let's go boy and the kid says don't call me boy and the athletic director at least allegedly continues to say that. And this has created a huge controversy. The members of the basketball team are now wearing T-shirts that say, you know, my name is not Boy. And this has apparently led to the resignation of the basketball coach. 855-616-1620. John downtown. John, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. I'm sure. on a cell phone on the freeway, so I hope this is good. But my point of view is uh, I went to Whitefish Bay High School back in the 70s. I know how it is to be the person of color in the predominantly white high school. That school is very diverse and very integrated. My wife and I live on the western part of Greenfield. My kids went to Whitnell, and uh, the young man, my point of view is he has a name. You can call him by his name. You don't have. I can see that being easily taken the wrong way by referring to him as boy. Your question was, should he be disciplined? And, I'm, and my point is, if he's not disciplined for using that phrase, then you're saying it's okay. And let's make a point that it's not okay to call the young 17-year-old boy repeatedly. Let me ask you this: If if the if the young man was not a, a person of color, if it was a white kid, would that change the dynamic at all? If he said, "Hey, hey, boy, come here," you know, it, would that be different? No, he shouldn't be calling anyone boy. They should all be referred to by their name: Carl, Mike, Jimmy. That's what he should be referred to as by his name. Okay. If if he was addressing the, and I'm just throwing out these different ideas. If he was, let's say you've got the coach, 
and the coach is addressing the team in general, and the coach were to say, "Boys, we've got a big game coming up tonight," or "Boys, you didn't you didn't play hard enough yesterday. We're going to run laps." Would that be okay, or or is the word "boy" should that be completely out, regardless of what the context is? No, the word "boy" that context is different. You could say, "Guys, mm-hmm. you were out. Of, you know, you didn't play in unity last night." But boys as a group is one thing, but to refer to that young man in the heat of a moment like that as boy and then to do it repeatedly is probably where there's fault. Yeah. Thanks for the call, John. And I, I don't I actually don't disagree with the way you, you broke that down. I mean I, I think if this were if it were a collective, I mean, I, I think, you know, isn't that still, you know, the, the way they describe, like, high school sports? Okay, we had boys sports and we got girls sports. It's boys basketball. If this were, a, if this issue were collective, they were talking about the collective. In other words, that the coach or whatever was addressing the team, boys, we got to play harder, or men, we got to play harder, whatever. If it was a collective thing, I think that's different. Look here, and I'm getting a number of texts from people suggesting they don't see the racial connotation of this, to which my response is, come on. I mean, seriously, I mean, this is, you you have, first of all, I, I agree with the concept that if, if you're addressing these kids, and presumably if the guy's the athletic director and this young man is on the basketball team, you, you know his, his name, and you can say, all right, c- come here. Now, if you, if you don't want to use the name, if you would say, there's all sorts of other terms you could use. Son, we got to get in here, something like that. And I, I if you don't want to use the name, that's fine. But the, the concept to, to suggest that there isn't a racial connotation to using the word boy with regard to a, a person of color, even if it's a 17-year-old kid of color, I, I think I think that that's, that's naive. And it makes me wonder what the guy was thinking if this, in fact, did happen. Lou in Harambee. Lou, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, I think I'm just going to echo what John just said. Uh, you know, it, and if they don't, if you don't see a, a yeah, the racial aspect of it. Well, and you need this is a good time for some education. Uh, this is a term that I've heard about years ago when I was a kid. That is very, it's, it's very incendiary uh, down south. Um, so I think the kids got a name. Kids got a name. Um, this would be a good time for that person to be educated and learn that that's not that's not a uh, it's a very insensitive way to speak to somebody of color. I have a number of people, Lou, who are texting me saying, Jeff, this is, people need to get over this. And when I was growing up, you know, people would say, people would call me boy, yeah, well, et cetera, et cetera. Up. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. yeah, but this is a different time. And you know what, if you're, it, it's, what are you fighting? Why, why fight it? If, if somebody is offended by it, just don't do it. What, you know, how, how hard is it to just, you know, give the kids, call the kid by his name, you know? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for calling. You know, it, I, I was thinking of that too. And, and again, I, I'm getting these texts saying, "Well, Jeff, you know, when, it, when it, back in my day, look, I, 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 I remember, I remember, I was in seventh grade at um, Riverview Middle School, which is just south of um, Hampton Avenue, off of Port Washington Road. And I was there the last year. It was like a middle school and stuff. And and then it, it's been now it's an office building or whatever it is. We had a we had a seventh grade teacher, Mr. Stanley, and what he used to do is he used to throw erasers. You know, this is back in the day where you'd have the chalkboards and you'd, you'd, you'd wipe off the chalkboard and you had that eraser, and the eraser was soft. And if you were not paying attention in class or talking, he'd haul off and he'd chuck 
these these erasers. And, and and then he'd hit you in the side of the head. Now I got I never got one thrown at me, but you know I, I remember I can remember multiple occasions where some of my classmates you know got hit in the side of the head with the eraser and the chalk goes flying and stuff, and they've got chalk all over their face. Well, okay, you could do that. I, I guess you could do that when you know I was in seventh grade. You you can't throw stuff at students anymore. This is is just the this is just the the whole background of this stuff, and and so you you have to you know take it into account. Now, so what what happens here? I guess, and that's the other question. Um, the athletic director at Greenfield ha- has been there for a, a number of of years, so I guess. I think you know you do have to figure out what the punishment hits the fits the crime. I do not know the context of this. I mean, you you don't know if the kid you know talked back to the guy or what exactly happened. But I, I think this is an inappropriate way to address a 17 year old, and that's not me suddenly becoming politically incorrect. It's just. In, in today's day and age, this is just not appropriate for a person in a position of power, uh, for an educator to, to do. And I think you have to be more conscious of that. Now, a- am I automatically saying that I think the guy should be forced out of his job? No. I, I think you got to understand the context. you got to hear his side of the story. You've got to evaluate it. And then you have to determine what, if any, sort of a punishment is appropriate, up to and including dismissal. But I'm not necessarily arguing for dismissal. But the idea that, you know, you in today's day and age, the reality is, you just can't say things like that to, to particularly to kids or to to adults either. Period. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Couple texts, Jeff. I'm a retired K through A teacher. I've never heard the term "boy" used to address students in the Midwest. I taught 40 years ago in Florida, and this term was sometimes used by teachers who were born and raised in the South only with black students. I even felt then that it was highly racist. Jeff, an athletic director is an educator. Any educator has to know that the term "boy" has racial connotations and is very wrong. Um, Jeff, I've addressed groups of young children as boys and girls once and I thought it was considered rude um, totally unintentionally they were all under 8th grade so I've now started addressing groups of young men as young men and young ladies sign of the times but um, you know in this example in the heat of the moment I would consider it to be extremely you know inappropriate um, Jeff when I was in trouble the coaches always called me by my name or get over here young man in this case I think the athletic director w- was wrong yeah I, I don't know how exactly that this whole thing is going to play out what the appropriate punishment is but in this particular case you, you do have to wonder even if provoked and I don't know that that was the situation but even if provoked what what could the guy have been thinking Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Wondering what 2022 will have in store? Join WTMJ on Thursday, February 17th for a day-long broadcast on the topics that impact your everyday life. Politics, the economy. Matter of fact, that's the segment I'm going to be doing. Health and more. Big issues from big names on the biggest stick in the state. WTMJ 2022, Thursday, February 17th from 9 in the morning till 6 at night. Presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by the Bartolotta Restaurants. Find out more information by going to our website, WTMJ.com. All right, let me let me sort of back into this. I I met Rudy Giuliani. Back in the day, I was working in the U.S. Attorney's Office in the 80s in Milwaukee when Rudy Giuliani was the then crime-busting 
assist, uh, crime busting. He was the United States attorney for the Southern District of New York. And the reputation back then that Rudy Giuliani had among some of his, his assistants was that he was kind of a, a glory hound in that there, there's two different types of, assist, of, of U.S. attorneys. There's ones who... Um, have their assistant U.S. attorneys who do the work, and then they they give them the credit. And then there's the other kind of U.S. attorneys who have assistants do the work, and then they take all the credit for it. Rudy Giuliani was was a credit grabber, and, and he was a publicity hog, and there's all sorts of stories about that. But nevertheless, he was incredibly aggressive in going after you know mobsters, for example, that had, had controlled the docks in New York City and things like that, and, and even understanding that the guy had an ego as big as all outdoors. I knew several people who worked for him in the U.S. Attorney's Office, and they always thought the guy's heart was in the right place, and they thought he was a hard-charging guy, and they liked working for him, even if he was a bit of a glory hog and stuff, because he was an aggressive prosecutor. And typically... Um, at least back then, nowadays you get prosecutors like John Chisholm, but at least back then, if you went in to be a prosecutor and, and you wanted to make it a career of it, you, you were aggressive. That was there. You wanted to be a crime fighter, and that's who Rudy Giuliani was. Rudy Giuliani used his time as the United States Attorney in the Southern District of New York as the springboard to become uh, America's mayor, and he brought that, that same sort of larger-than-life approach to, to the role of the mayor. And he recognized what had happened in New York City and how crime had overtaken it and run it all down. And, you know, Rudy Giuliani, for whatever you want to say about him now, I think deserves a lot of credit for aggressively saying, we're going to clean up New York. And, and that's really what kind of led him to be America's mayor as well as his response to stuff after September 11th and things like that. And there was a point in time where a lot of people, and I admit myself included, thought that Rudy Giuliani, if he had taken things in a different direction, he may have had a chance to be the President of the United States. Now, his career did not move in that direction, and but, but that's where Rudy Giuliani was. And if you think about Rudy Giuliani now, and you compare Rudy Giuliani to where he was 20, 25 years ago, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, how, how, how did all th- this happen? So, you know, we all know the story lately about Rudy Giuliani. He became kind of the, one of the concierge to, to to Donald Trump, he was one of the architects from some of the sort of crazier theories that were out there and crazier arguments that try to allow Trump to stay in office after the results of the election. And I, in general, it would be fair to say that in many respects, Rudy Giuliani completely and totally beclowned himself on, on so many different levels. So that brings me to the story that's being reported today. Have you ever watched The Masked Singer on, on Fox? And, and it's, it's I, I, I have only seen snippets of it. I have never watched an entire episode. But The Masked Singer is sort of like, well, it's kind of like American Idol on acid is sort of how I would describe it. You, you have judges, then you have people who, performers or entertainers or people in in the public view, whatever, who come out and they're they're dressed in these huge costumes and stuff, and and the goal is to, I mean, guess who they are and things like that. That, That's sort of the background of it. Sarah Palin, 
um, was in season three. You know, she was one of the masked singers, and she ended up, you know, then they do this big thing where they're unmasked. Oh, my gosh, it's Sarah Palin and stuff. Well, the masked singer is back for season seven, and it's not a live show. Um, at least early on, it's not a live show. I don't know how they do it at the end. But so they begun taping the first round of, of shows, which are going to air in, in March. And the, the story that's out today is that during the taping, which happened the other day, apparently Rudy Giuliani was revealed as one of the first contestants to depart on the season seven premiere. So the show hasn't even aired yet, but the report is out there that, you know, when they unmask it, Rudy Giuliani is one of the people who is participating in the dancing singing competition dressed as, well, we don't know exactly what he is dressed at. Now, the other story is that two of the four judges Apparently, after they do the unmasking and Rudy Giuliani is there, two of the four judges leave the stage in in protest, um, leaving two of the other judges to continue the taping and have a brief discussion with Giuliani. But you've got Rudy Giuliani, a guy who was federal prosecutor, a guy who was the mayor of New York, a guy who at one point in time was at least viewed, I think, as a semi-serious contender for the presidency of the United States, a guy who has been associated with various law firms over the years and undoubtedly has been making millions and millions of dollars, you know, as an advisor to all sorts of people. And he ends up apparently now being unmasked on um, the masked singer. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I guess I was watching this and I was thinking, I, the story, and it's like, Rudy, 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 what what could you possibly be be thinking with regard to, to something like this? I mean, at some point in time, have you just, I mean, is this a situation where somebody just kind of completely goes over the edge and now becomes just so obsessed with publicity or trying to keep their name out there that they'll do anything? Or is this one, hey, this is kind of a fun thing. Rudy's a celebrity. What's the big deal if he decides he wants to dress up as a giant fish and dance around the stage at the age of whatever his age is? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just got to tell you, and this is from somebody who had a lot of respect for Rudy Giuliani a number of years ago. I'm thinking... Man, how how do you end up on stage, you know, in the masked singer wearing a giant fish suit or whatever? They they don't know which character. They're not releasing which character he was. But a giant frog suit, a giant fish suit, you name it. 855-616-1620. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. We discuss in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Kelly in Slinger. Kelly, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Kelly. So this is this is really embarrassing for, for them, and and it's not unheard of. You know, you had Tucker Carlson, you had John Spicer that went on shows like Dancing with the Stars, and you've had others that have gone on low-budget shows Palin like Celebrity did, Big Brother. Sarah Palin did Mass Singer in season three. Yeah, she was the bear. Sarah Palin. <laughs> And and it's it, it really I'm not sure what it is I'm not sure if it's this desire to stay relevant but 
Yeah, you want to say how the mighty have fallen, and especially as conservatives, where they know they're going to be ridiculed. They know that the judges are going to hate them. So why put yourself through that? I just don't I don't understand that mindset. I, I don't I don't either. I, I mean, and it's I guess I mean, look, on the one hand, maybe you say, well, it's a way of showing that you, you don't take yourself too seriously or whatever. But I, and, and the world does need rodeo clowns. I, I understand that. But you know, this was a guy who who, who could have 20 years ago, he, he could have been the president of the United States. And now he's dancing around in a giant fish costume. I, I just I, I kind of shrug my shoulders and say, what are you thinking of, Rudy? <laughs> Oh, that's, thanks a, for the, call. that's yeah. the thing. You really do have to question it. You're right. No, th- thanks for the call. And I, I mean, and again, it's I mean, it's a free country. You, you can you can do those things. I mean, and look, and I I understand. I, I mean, I understand that you get these sort of D-list celebrities who who sign up and and do the dancing with the stars thing and and stuff like that, and and then you have the professional athletes who do it and all. And I, I get it. And there's. And and maybe they view it as fun. Maybe like on the Dancing with the Stars thing, they they figure that hey, Donald Driver does that, and Donald Driver, hey, he, he just shows that he's he's multi talented, that he's more than simply a, um, you know, that he, he's more than simply like a football player and stuff. But this is this is the masked singer. <laughs> you know, this is this is kind of one step above celebrity rehab. You know, <laughs> isn't it? Um, Jeff, maybe it's a bucket list thing for Rudy to perform and dance. One never knows. Well, okay, but you're you're performing and dancing in a giant fish costume. I mean, that's it. Jeff, Tanya Harding comes to mind. Yeah, that was that was sort of it too. You know, you just I mean, Tanya Harding, my my late wife was a huge, you know, figure skating fan and for whatever reason, she just really, she really liked Tanya Harding. She broke bad on her at the end. But I mean, it was I mean, Tanya Harding after the ice skating thing ended, you know, it was everything from let let's let's go into the the celebrity boxing to that stuff. And it, but at least in Tanya Harding's case, she was she was uh, she she needed the money and stuff like that. I can't believe that that you know Rudy Giuliani would be in that would be in the position where you know he would need the money. Um, now somebody else says Jeff, it just shows that Rudy has a sense of humor. Um, Okay, <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I, I guess Jeff. I respect the heck out of what he did for New York, but I think Rudy has gone nuts, and that's kind of one of the, you know, one of the the themes for this. Jeff, it's not much different than Bill Clinton playing the saxophone on Arsenio Hall. No, I, I completely disagree. I think it is materially different than that. Bill Clinton, when he was running for office, went on Arsenio Hall. As, as a campaign thing because he wanted to kind of he, he wanted to show he was a man of the people he wanted to show that he was something other than you know the 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 the, the in establishment he wanted to show that he was you know one of these new breed of politicians and so I mean you know he did it I, I don't know that he was necessarily making fun of himself he was trying to relate to the average person I, I'm not sure that Rudy Giuliani going on the mask singer and dressed jet again dancing around in the giant fish costume or whatever it is. I, I'm not sure that um, that's it. And one of our textures says, clowns got a clown. Um, yes. Jeff, if Rudy were a teenager, you'd say he fell into a bad crowd. Maybe now he needs the money for legal bills. Well, if if Rudy Giuliani needs the money, I'm going to tell you something. After you know all the money Rudy Giuliani made at these big law firms and stuff like that, he's really got an issue. Gianni in Montello. Gianni, you're on WTMJ. 
Yes, Jeff. Um, hey, perhaps I'm mistaken, but um, the Masked Singer, it, doesn't that typically feature um, people that are, are in the music business or are professional singers or, or semi-professional singers, someone that we would know? Um, you know if, if, if that isn't the case, uh, I would, I, unless he has a real serious interest in music or singing or, or, or uh, vocals, uh, I, I think he looks like a buffoon given his, 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 his history as a prosecutor in New York, star prosecutor, by the way. But maybe, yeah. maybe um, I, I'm incorrect. No, no, thanks for calling. No, you, you are, Gianni, and I, I just, I, I, I quickly get beyond my depth if we're going to talk about the, the mass singer. Because, like I say, I've never, I, I've never watched an entire show in its entirety. I have seen clips, you know, generally, oh, this is who won the competition, and this is the last person that was unmasked, and stuff like that. And no, I believe you are correct that, that typically it is. The, the people that last the longest are are performers, um, and and most of them tend to be younger performers. Look, if Rudy Giuliani gets to do whatever he wants to do, I, I understand that. But I'm just, if you look at at bizarre career choices, it seems to me that there have been a lot of bizarre career choices that have been made, and and you know the the deciding to you know walk around just kind of joined at the hip with president trump and to be the advocate for some of the wilder ideas that president trump had come out with i, I thought man that's I, i'm not sure how that all plays out and you know when you end up doing that you know where where does this lead you well by the way we know now where it leads you it leads you to being tossed out in the first round of the masked singer competition on fox i look i I don't. I don't know where my career is going to go. You know, I, I, you have no idea. None of us necessarily do. But I, I do think I always remember back in the 1980s. Remember Nancy Reagan, who was, you know, she kind of coined the slogan "Just say no to drugs." And I, I always thought that that was very, very good advice. I guess my philosophy would be, you know, for for somebody like Rudy Giuliani, you know, when Fox calls and says, "Hey, we want you to go. Uh, we want you to go into the the Big Brother house," or that's CBS. CBS. When CBS calls us. We want you to go into the Big Brother house. Or Fox calls and says, we've got an opening on the Masked Singer. Maybe, just maybe, you should channel um, Nancy Reagan. And what were those phrases? Oh, yeah, just say no. Lots of stuff on today's program. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. I, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I, I sent out a link to this, this story. Um, and I, I will admit that it takes a lot to really get my attention in the world of crime nowadays, particularly in Milwaukee, because there's just so much crime that's around. But but this one uh, and the film of this really caught my attention. Um, and it's the seven, what happened, 76th and Villard, that happened yesterday afternoon. Um, so for, for people who haven't been paying attention to this, about 1.35 in the afternoon, this is not 135 in the morning. 135 Wednesday afternoon in the 6100 block of Capitol Drive. And, and I'm, I want to tell you something. I mean, you, it, it is amazing to me how many 
of these stories that we end up talking about involving reckless driving and police chases and stuff, how much of that appears to originate right around Capitol Drive? And it's really Capitol Drive seems to have become that thoroughfare where if you're driving it, just just get ready to take your life into your own hands. So what happens is 6100 block of Capitol Drive, a officer sees a vehicle that is driving in a reckless fashion and then they recognize and they realize that this car has been used in an armed robbery that the day before more on that in just a second but it's a stolen stolen car so you got a stolen car driving recklessly 1:30 in the afternoon the police try to pull over the car okay so what what do we know happens here well this is Milwaukee and people never stop for the police so the guy in the van person in the van we'll get to him in just a minute apparently floors it tries to run from the police police say the pursuit ended uh, not that long later, when the suspect drives through a red light and collides with another car near 76th and Villard. So th- this started on, again, 61st and Capitol, so it goes about 15 blocks to the west and a little bit north. All right, the and this is where you've got the, the just absolutely amazing video of this because there, there's there's people that are filming this. And if you want to see it, I, I've got a link to it again up on my website, up at, uh, my Twitter account. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. So what happens is the suspect driving the stolen car blows through a red light, collides with another car near 76th and Villard. The impact causes the car to go airborne, at which point in time it lands on a series of cars that are at Hart Auto. It's a car lot on 76th and Villard. Um, several people sent to the hospital. Numerous cars are are, are totaled about this. Um, and it's just amazing because you got security cameras that show the stolen black Jeep being chased by police. When it hits the car in the intersection, it goes flying into the air, shattered glass, debris, everywhere and all i have to say is it is if you watch this it is nothing but a stone cold miracle a stone cold miracle that there aren't people dead in connection with this well okay as it turns out that the car the, the jeep the jeep cherokee cherokee which was fleeing the cops that had recently been stolen in an armed carjacking. Channel 12 tracks down the woman who owned the car. She drives for Lyft and Uber. She says Tuesday afternoon. Now, this all happened, the, the crash happened yesterday afternoon. She says Tuesday afternoon she picks up a young man who wants her to take him to Marshall High School. She said, okay, we, we get to Marshall High School, and then um, he wants me to take him around to the football fields. Well, the lady says, okay, the, all, all sorts of red flags are going off here because I knew that there weren't cameras in that area, and that's where he's directing. So she says, nope, this isn't going to happen. She says, you got to get off here. She says, I unlocked the door, and he said, uh, well, um, he said, look, here's the problem. He says, ma'am, you're going to have to get out of your truck. He pulls out a gun and carjacks this woman at at gunpoint. Now, she's stunned. She gets out of the car. She gets out of the Jeep, and she leaves, and the guy, again, takes off in, in the Jeep. She said the next day, you know, she's looking at Facebook Live, and she says, hey, that, that's, that's my car. So the car that was involved in the high-speed crash had been stolen by the 17-year-old, 17 years old, gunpoint taken from the Uber driver the, the day before. So, you know, 
yet another day, more carjackings, more crimes of violence that are going on. But here's what I think is really interesting about this this entire story. So after this came out and after I put my stuff up on Twitter, I, I got a little bit of feedback from some people saying, all right, maybe the lesson of this is that maybe the police shouldn't chase. Because if the police hadn't chased the carjacker in the stolen car, now the carjacker was driving recklessly, but clearly he started driving more recklessly in an effort to get away from the cops. And that led him to blowing through the the red light at 76th and Villard and hitting the other car and losing control and flipping it and causing all this damage. And the argument would be, okay, it's an armed guy who's 17-year-old, and by the way, just as an aside, what do you want to bet that this isn't the kid's first time at the rodeo? And I tell you, my inclination is to bet pretty much everybody, anybody, all the money in my wallet versus all the money in yours, that this is a situation where this is somebody who's been through the quote-unquote juvenile justice or adult justice system on multiple occasions because I don't believe you just wake up one day and say, hey, today's the day I'm going to get a gun and go carjack an Uber driver outside of Marshall High School. But I, I, I digress on that. The argument is, all right, you've got the van. You know it was stolen in a carjacking. You're the police officer. The guy is driving recklessly. You try to pull him over. He runs from you at a high speed. Do you chase and, and, I mean, I do understand that if you don't chase and you just simply let him drive off, well, you know, in all likelihood, he probably doesn't run through the red light, probably doesn't hit this other car, probably doesn't go airborne and smash into all these other cars, but he does get away. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess my feeling is this. I, I think whenever it is practical, you have to chase people. And in a situation where you know you are, you are following a car that, number one, is driving recklessly, and number two, was stolen by somebody at gunpoint the day before. You have every reason to infer that the person behind the wheel of that car is somebody who is extremely dangerous. And I'm sorry, I don't care if you're 14 or 17 or 77, you stick a gun in somebody's face and you take their car, you are per se extremely dangerous. I don't fault the cops for chasing at all. And the only person to blame, in my opinion, for the carnage that happened yesterday afternoon at 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon on 76th and Villard was the 17-year-old thug who ran from the police a day after stealing that woman's car at gunpoint. 855-616-1620. Of course you have to chase. At least that's how I see it. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase is our presenting sponsor, Great Midwest Bank. From Madison to Milwaukee and all parts in between, <coughs> excuse me, Great Midwest Bank is your simply local equal housing home renovation lender. Contact them at 888-485-4400 or visit them at greatmidwestbank.com. Uh, every time I hear that commercial for Fighting Bob Donovan, I, I just, I, there's, there's no question he's going to stake out the role as the anti-crime candidate in a city that is awash with crime. And, you know, that just might be a winning message. It's certainly the type of ad that gets people's attention. All right, speaking about getting the people's attention, if you happen to be around 61st and Capitol yesterday afternoon, around 1.30 or so, there was an incident that got your attention. 17-year-old, it turns out it's a 17-year-old, who at gunpoint 
carjacked a Lyft driver on Wednesday, gets spotted by the cops um, because the kid is driving, I say kid, the 17-year-old is driving the stolen car in a reckless fashion. Police try to pull him over, and of course, as we know what happens with the thugs and the punks and the criminals in Milwaukee, nobody stops, they, they run. So a high-speed chase ensues for about 14 blocks. doesn't take very long. The driver of the stolen Jeep, Jeep Cherokee, in this case, blows through a, a red light at 76th and Villard, smashes into another car. The Jeep goes airborne and ends up landing on a bunch of cars that are in a used car lot on 76th and Villard, and the, the 17-year-old is now taken into custody. We, we don't know any of the details about the kid's background, but... Again, we do know as a practical matter that it's going to come back, and this is somebody who has probably been through the juvenile justice system and or the criminal justice system on multiple occasions, and maybe he's even out on bail for something. Who, who knows? There's a better-than-even chance it seems that that's going to happen. But the question becomes, all right, there's, there's lots of property damage that was caused as a result of this. The good news is that even though people were taken to the hospital, nobody is dead as a result of this. So the question is, should the cops have let him go? And my answer is not just no, but heck no. When you have a vehicle that has been involved in a carjacking and you spot it, there's a good inference that the armed carjacker is behind the wheel of it, and you just simply, at least in my opinion, cannot allow that car to drive off. 855-616-1620. Jeff, high-pursuit chases were reinstated two to three years ago. How is it working so far at stopping reckless driving and car thefts? Well, all right, you can't prove a negative, but my position would be for all those of you out there who think it was a good idea just to let people drive away, at least when you are chasing, you're getting some of those people off the street. And if you didn't chase, I think the car theft and the reckless driving situation would be much much worse. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think it's time to declare that if you do an armed carjacking, you go to a different level. We need to clean this up. Well, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's no question about it. Jeff, the guy would probably have gotten into a crash later if he was let go. Don't chase is just like low bail. It's a slap on the wrist. Someone will be hurt or worse if not stopped. Well, right, the, the related point to that is it's not just a question of the guy driving recklessly in the stolen car. He carjacked a woman at gunpoint. Is there anybody out there that really thinks that he's not going to do it again? I mean, if you don't catch him, if you don't get him off the street, if you don't prosecute him, you just let him drive off with his gun, sooner or later, what's going to happen? They're going to crash that car, and then they're going to go out, and they're going to stick somebody else up, and maybe this time... Maybe this time, instead of letting the woman walk away with her life, this time the carjacker ends up, you know, shooting them. I mean, that's that's what the reality of this situation is. Jeff, where are the parents? You know, your kid needs an Uber to get to school and returns with a Jeep Cherokee? Well, you know, who, who knows? I, I don't know if the kid was a, was a student at Marshall or not. Kid just called an Uber driver, 17-year-old, called an Uber driver, and that's where he told her to take him, and then, you know, he stuck him up. Jeff, no question, you need to chase, you need to arrest, and you need to prosecute these thugs. If you don't, crime will, you know, escalate. Well, you know, that's, that's it. Jeff, you know what he's not doing today? He's not putting more people at risk, to which the congregation says, amen. 
You know, that's 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 the one thing. Yeah, you know, I, I don't I don't know that chasing people after they rob people at gunpoint. I don't know that that's ultimately the solution to the out of control crime problems we have. But that's true. This, at least this one 17-year-old, he's not going to be sticking a gun in anybody's face anytime soon. And that at least makes the community a little bit safer. And for everybody who's out there, well, I mean, look at the property damage that was caused. And, and he hit this other car and stuff. Yeah, who do you blame for that? It's not the fault of the police. It's not the fault of... Oh, I don't know the social workers because we don't have enough midnight basketball. It's because you've got a 17-year-old punk who doesn't give a rat's rear end about anybody else, and he's willing to stick a gun in somebody's face and take their car. Kelly in Bayview. Kelly, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Yes, they should go after them. They can't keep letting them get away with that stuff. All they do is slap the wrist in and they're out the same day or the next day doing it all again. Yeah, exactly. You have to stop it. Well, Kelly, th- thanks for the call. Now, I mean, that, that that is then the flip side of this because, you know, and, and we talk about this regularly in this program about what, you know, what, what happens afterwards. You know, now in this particular case, because because there was so much damage done, because it was an armed carjacking, my guess is even the Milwaukee County District Attorney, even John Chisholm, might come to the conclusion that that maybe at least a little bit of jail time is warranted. Again, it's going to be really interesting to see once they bring charges, what is this person's prior record? Was he out on bail? Was had he been through the juvenile justice system on multiple occasions before? You know, what why was this guy out on the street? Because like I say, I don't think you just wake up one day and say, hey, today's the day I'm going to get my gun and I'm going to go a carjack a, a, a woman who's trying to make a few extra bucks to support her family, you know, by driving Uber. So my, my guess is long criminal record before this all leads up. But yeah, you're, you're right. In this case, he, he's off the street. We've got to keep these people off the street as well. Um, somebody just sent me a text with a picture. Jeff, I heard three to four gunshots, looked out the window, and then saw a van crash into a tree just before noon. It wasn't like this when I started working in Milwaukee 50 years ago. It, it's time to retire. Yeah, this is this is not an atypical example. I mean, you just, on any given day, you watch the TV news, you listen to the radio news, and, and you're going to hear that this is happening on just a regular occurrence. One of our texters says, Jeff, it's time to bring back reform schools. Well, or or, or boot camps or something like that. You know, that, that, that this idea gets ridiculed. Oh, you know, you, you, mean, you mean to say that you send a 14 or a 15-year-old to boot camp? Absolutely, I would. Darn right I would, you know, if depending on what the kid did. But, yeah, after you've stolen your third or fourth car at the age of 15, yes, I'm not sending you back to mom and dad with a slap on the wrist to give you an opportunity to steal nine or ten more cars. No, there needs to be some degree of, you know, consequences. Jeff, you must be real dumb if you call an Uber and then leave a paper trail. Well, I, look, I, I would never argue that some of these criminals are necessarily candidates for Mensa. I'm just arguing that when you stick a gun in somebody's face, you have to hold them accountable. Jeff, anyone who says, let them go, I hope it's their car that's left uh, you know, next. Jeff, we live in Wauwatosa. We drive twice a week to Eli's Soccer Park for our kids' soccer practice. Um, in the last three weeks, 
I've seen seven police chases in the Good Hope Capital Drive area, some at over 100 miles an hour. Yep, this is... This is the message that's getting out there. The bad guys think they can just run away, and they think that there's going to be no consequences. And you know what? Unfortunately, for too long, we've allowed that to happen. So I guess circling back to where we started this conversation, I I think it's perfectly appropriate for the police to chase I, obviously, you don't want to do it in a fashion that's going to unnecessarily put pedestrians' lives at risk or the lives of the cops at risk. But I think you have to err on the side of whenever possible chasing because you've got to get these people that are running from the police off the street. And then, of course, the message for the not-crime-fighting district attorney and the let's-turn-them-loose criminal justice system is once you catch that person that's run from the cops at 95 miles an hour, regardless of whether the car is a car thing or not you've got to have consequences and that means there's got to be some penalty and that means there's got to be time why can't we come to that conclusion how many more cars are going to get stolen how many chases are there going to be how much more property damage is there going to be how many people are going to lose their lives before we say enough is enough back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj I have always gone out of my way to try to separate somebody's personal politics from, you know, what they do publicly. For, for example, a lot of the musicians I, I like, and, you know, going back to the 60s and 70s, a lot of the musicians, big-time lefties. Well, that, that's okay. I mean, that, that's their politics, and as long as they're not really upfront about their politics and their songs, I, I'm going to go to the shows and stuff. I, that's, that, that's fine. Um, same thing is true with people, you know, in other aspects of the entertainment industry. And... I'm having trouble with that with regard to Susan Sarandon. Now, Susan Sarandon has been, gosh, her first movie gig was in 1970, so she's been around for 50-plus years. She really kind of had this period of time where starting starting sort of like in the late 70s and running into the early 1990s. She was involved in in lots of lots of really good movies. The, the, the last one, actually the last thing she did, in my opinion, that was probably really any good was Dead Man Walking, which is in 1995. But, you know, she's done a lot of other movies. Thelma and Louise is one of the ones. She's famous for, for Bull Durham, which I think is just a great baseball movie, The Witches of Eastwick, etc., etc. Um, lately, the last 15 or 20 years, I, I'm not sure she's made that many great movies, but it doesn't matter. She, she's got a huge filmography and she deserves a lot of credit for it she's also a big time lefty i mean a big time hardcore lefty and and that's fine it's never stopped me from saying okay that that's her portrayal of you know the character in bull durham was was great and so i've always been able to kind of separate the politics from this but every once in a while you get to a point where you say maybe enough is enough i don't know if you heard about or saw what it was that, that she did yesterday now over the last few weeks, there has been, I think, an almost concerted effort in cities across the country, including in Milwaukee, for bad guys to shoot police officers. You know, there, there's a case after case after case where you have had officers that have been ambushed in the line of duty, amb- officers in Milwaukee, for example, you know, responding to situations, and they've had people open fire on them. It, it's really... Like you have a a certain class of criminal out there that feels emboldened to just shoot police officers. And you would think that most decent 
honorable people would recognize that that's a bad thing. I mean, I don't think I'm out on a limb saying, boy, we, we shouldn't applaud people who, who shoot police officers and the police officers who are murdered do in the line of duty doing their job to protect and serve the rest of us deserve all sorts of admiration, anything we can offer to their memory and to their surviving family members would be appropriate. <clears throat> so here's the deal. A couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> you will remember that there were two New York City police officers who were shot while responding to a report of a domestic violence incident in, in Harlem involving a mother <clears throat> and her adult son. So th- there's been the funeral of these two police officers, one of whom was a 22-year-old police officer. His name was Jason Rivera. And perhaps you, you saw the images of the, of the funeral. And, and what happened is the streets of New York <clears throat> were lined with police officers in their full, like, dress blues as the, the casket, you know, traveled to, I think it was St. Patrick's Cathedral. But it, it was just th- this huge expression of respect and affection and honor that, that was accorded to this 22-year-old young man who was was killed simply because he was a police officer responding to the situation. So, I mean, it was really, I mean, if you saw the pictures of this, it was really sort of, I mean, touching and just to see, my gosh, look, this is just the sea of blue that is out there. Well, into this wade Susan Sarandon. Susan Sarandon decides to retweet a tweet written by some idiot podcaster, and the tweet has the picture of, and I, I sent this out on Twitter as well you, if you want to see it. it. It has the picture of, first of all, the headline is, if... If all these police officers, if they aren't, if the cops weren't needed for crime that day, doesn't mean they aren't needed any day. So in other words, you know, we, we don't need, and the hashtag is abolish the police. So it's because all these cops turned out to line the streets for the funeral of the fallen officer. That means we must not need police officers. And then it appears that Susan Sarandon, to this retweet, added the phrase, I'm going to tell my kids this is what fascism looks like I'm gonna tell my kids this is what fascism looks like so I I guess what she's trying to do is to draw a comparison between police officers who showed up to honor their fallen colleague and I, I don't know images of you know Soviet you know, Soviet Russia or, or Nazi Germany or whatever, where you have, you know, the, the huge or, or Benito Mussolini's Italy, where, where you have the, the military police that are doing the goose step down, you know, a main street, um, you know, for, for display. She likens the fact that you have these police officers who've turned out as a show of respect for one of their fallen colleagues and says, this is what fascism looks like. Here's the bottom line. She's over the bend. And, and this, if you want to know a definition of, of stuff that makes you a terrible person, this is stuff that makes you a terrible person. And, and like I say, as a general rule, I've always tried to separate the politics of the performer, the entertainer, from, from what they, they do. Because people are entitled to their political opinions and things like that. But to liken police that turned out 
to support and to honor a fallen colleague and say this, I'm going to tell my child this is what fascism looks like. Well, I think this is one where next time Bull Durham is on TV, next time the player is on TV, next time any of those other Susan Sarandon movies are on TV, I'm going to say this is what changing the channel looks like. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Yeah, if you follow me on Twitter, I, I did send out a link to this story <clears throat> with a note that, you know, how out of touch do you have to be to liken attendees at the funeral of a police officer to fascism? And the really scary thing is I'm sure Susan Sarandon actually believes what she reposted. I, I'm, I'm sure that's that's precisely in this woman's warped worldview, this is what she thinks. And people have the right to their opinion. And at the same time, it is interesting to me that you see the cancel culture going after all sorts of people for, I would argue, a lot less. And like I say, maybe maybe next time you, you see some of her older movies come on TV. Yeah, how many more times do you really need to see Thelma and Louise, I guess? All right. Um, during the, the bottom of the hour news, Melissa was telling you about what's going on in the market today. The uh, NASDAQ, which is very, very tech-heavy, a lot of the technology companies, it's down big time today. Now, it, 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 it's come back. It's been up for the last four or five days, but today's bad. It's down about four points, 466 points, which is like 3%. So it, it's, it's a big drop. But unlike sometimes when you can't explain you know, what's what's going on, and, and is it just pure panic or things like that? Well, the, the problem this time is um, Facebook, which is, you know, one of the big drivers of the whole tech stuff and all. Um, Facebook dramatically underperformed. They, they didn't meet some of their earning goals yesterday, and so, you know, investors are, are kind of breaking bad a little bit. So at least in this particular situation, you can understand what's going on. But here's part of the problem with you know, with Facebook. For the first time ever, for the first time ever, and Facebook has been around for 18 years, for the first time ever, Facebook lost daily users, falling by about half a million users in the last three months of 2021. Now, they still got a ton of users. I mean, one point, this is worldwide, 1.93 billion people logged in each day and, and that that's enormous don't get me wrong but the what they're seeing is for the first time ever the number of people logging in ha- has gone has gone down and um, as a result of this a lot of people are saying well maybe you, you can't grow to to the sky and maybe what this means is that that Facebook that has built its entire models on continuing to add users and users maybe you know maybe it's it's peaked and so like I say after market trading the stock just just took a, a huge hit um, which isn't to say that it's not still incredibly valuable but the ultimate point of this is people aren't signing up for Facebook as much and people are dropping off of Facebook now in, in discussing this I'm sort of at a little disadvantage because I do not Facebook, and, and I've never Facebook. I think years ago through the station, we set up a, a Facebook account, and I, I did a couple things on it and then just kind of lost interest in it. I, I do use Twitter to you know send out things that I want to call attention to. But as far as Facebook, it's just never anything. I, it's always looked to me to be this kind of like giant, unproductive 
time suck that I, I've just I've got other time sucks that I, I get involved in. My wife uses Facebook to a limited extent because it's a way that she has of communicating with some of her friends and some relatives and things like that, and not not for politics or discuss issues of the day, but it's just hey, you know, here's so and so they're on vacation. But Facebook right now, at least if you look at the last quarter, and again it's worldwide, even though there's still a ton of people that use it, they, they appear to have peaked. Now this could be just just a blip and the next quarter maybe they'll see the numbers just increase again dramatically. Or it could be part of a long-standing, or now maybe it's going to be the start of a long-standing trend that people have maxed out on Facebook. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Facebook loses users for the first time in its history. For those of you who are on Facebook or we're on Facebook and aren't on Facebook anymore. You know, what? what's going on? Has it, in fact, maxed out? Is this no longer going to be a company that's going to be able to say we're going to have this massive growth? Is Facebook in decline? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I tend to think the answer is yes, but what do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner. Now, now look, when, when you've got a company like Facebook that has 1.93 billion users, to, to lose half a million users in a quarter, you might say statistically that's not that big a deal. What is a big deal, though, is this, in the first, this is the first time in the history of Facebook that they've ever gone down in a quarter, that is, had lost list, lost viewers, users, in a particular quarter, which is now raising the idea, was this a blip, or is it possible that Facebook might have maxed out? And I, I think it's very possible that Facebook may have maxed out. Let's start with Lamar, who is calling us from Orlando. Hi, Lamar. Hey, Jeff. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. So I have a few thoughts on this uh, really quick. So first, I, I used to be a very big, avid Facebook user. But I've, I've noticed the trends that have changed uh, over the past few years. Uh, the first trend is the algorithm change. You used to be able to log into Facebook, and then if your friends commented, it went in the order in which they posted. You could see all your friends' comments, and, you know, you can kind of interact with your friends, which is nice. They changed that algorithm. They, they moved toward, more toward the algorithms that, you know, create more conflict. Because I also ran, like, a Facebook group to discuss politics, had a few thousand members at one point, but it got really toxic. And so, yeah. um, and, and obviously that's good for Facebook. The more clicks and more views, obviously it's good because, you know, it, it helps their revenue. But over the past, like, year, um, Facebook has gotten more restrictive with, like, speech. So if I, let's say, for example, and it's, and it's, and it's mostly uh, it's mostly an algorithm, so you, it's not like it's humans that's looking at this thing. They look at combination words. So let's say, for example, I say, Jeff, we're going to play ball today, and I'm going to destroy you on the court. That can be considered, like, violent, even though I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. And Facebook will yeah. then restrict your account and multiple, you know, uh, infractions lead to longer and longer restrictions. So it's becoming – it's not fun anymore. You can't yeah. really interact with people because, like I said, the algorithms drive you toward the conflict. But when the conflict becomes even sarcastically, quote-unquote, violent, right. Facebook restricts you. So it's not – it's becoming extraordinarily restrictive, So, which I believe is just driving – it's driving down my usage at least. Yeah, no, I'm not, thanks I'm for calling more. No, I – you know, and I, I mean, I, I know you're not alone, I, and I know – uh, you're talking about the toxic stuff and stuff. I mean, I, a lot of like I, said, I am not a Facebook user, but I, I but I hear this stuff from my wife. I, I know she's just 
she's not on it anywhere near as much because of what you're talking about is the toxic thing. Again, I mean, her, her purpose of using it is, hey, you've got these friends and they're, they're visiting their grandkids or whatever and here they're, you know, they're in, you know, wherever they are. And it's to use that. But a lot of the discussion stuff that's gotten that toxic and I think a lot of people are tuning out to that. Susan in Waukesha. Susan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I have to echo his statements um, somewhat. Number one, the algorithms I'm seeing, and I do use it, but mostly to keep in touch. I'm seeing ads. I'm seeing groups, you know, like the marketplaces and some of those instead of my friends. You have to literally search for comments for your friends. They have a lot of family members that have decided not to do anything with Meta that was Facebook, now Meta, because of censorship. And they don't, it's, it's, you know, because they're specifying who they're censoring or they're they're picking and choosing who they're censoring instead of across the board. And to that other person's comment, there's certain keywords that I have friends that are like they misspell them so they don't hit when they're saying something <laughs> derogatory about something. They literally use like hyphenated words to phonically spell out the word so that they're not getting uh, censored or put into Facebook jail. Ah, Susan, life is too short to worry about getting put into Facebook jail as far as I'm concerned. And it's concerned. supposed to be fun. It was, like well, he yeah. said, it's supposed to be fun. And it has gone to where people are saying nasty comments. They don't care. They feel like they're um, anonymous, but they really aren't. But people just don't feel that they have to watch what they say, and they just don't care. Yeah. Thanks for the call. I, I think that's, and that's some of it. I think that's affecting people of certain generation i mean here we're getting just a ton of text on this they're really interesting jeff i'm 26 i volunteer with high school use youth and most think facebook just isn't hip and they don't have it instagram is a bit better but i'd say tiktok and snapchat are the hip thing for young people yeah i mean i think that's i mean i think there is an element of that as as well you know for the longest time i mean facebook was it was the, the giant it was the gorilla in the room and you know facebook was the, the the place where you go now you know no much stuff jeff i love using facebook to stay in touch with friends and relatives with the political division in our country the facebook posts from some of my friends and relatives often reveal their political views and opinion makes me feel differently about people that i felt i knew really ruins the entire experience for me jeff i think people are getting fed up with social media in general i don't know don't, don't know if that's the case but if you're wondering why the, the NASDAQ at least is down today, it's because Facebook has taken a big hit. And you know what? I think that I, I don't – look, I'm not predicting the end of Facebook. They've got 1.93 billion users. It, it's still a dramatic force. But as far as whether or not it's peaked, I think the answer might be yes. Got a lot of stuff coming up in the third hour of the program. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Now, you, you, whatever else you can say about this program, you, you can't say we're one-trick ponies. I mean, just in the course of the last couple hours, what are some of the things we've talked about? Crazy Susan Sarandon. Crazy Rudy Giuliani as the masked singer. Facebook's problems. Greenfield High School and the athletic director in brawl in, involved in a dispute over than he allegedly said to a kid, out-of-control crime. So where do we go in the 2 o'clock hour of the program? Well, we start 
with the National Football League. No, we're not going to talk about the Packers and where they find a special teams coach or whether it's time to dump Aaron Rodgers and trade him for what they can. No, 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 we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about the, the Super Bowl. What we're going to talk about is this lawsuit that was filed a couple days ago by the former coach of the Miami Dolphins, Brian Flores. He is black. He is one of a, well, now I think there's only one black coach left in the NFL. At the start of last season, there were three, one in Houston, Flores in Miami, and um, the, the guy in Pittsburgh. Um, and, and now everybody's been fired except the guy in, in Pittsburgh. And so the, the lawsuit that was filed after Brian Flores was fired, he, he alleges that <clears throat> the NFL is discriminated against black coaches and that the, this thing they have called the Rooney Rule, which says that before you can make a coaching hire, you have to consider diversity and you're supposed to interview um, members of minority groups for, for the job and stuff like that. Well, he, he's, he's filing th- this lawsuit. And I, I really don't want to talk about that aspect of it because the, the, the courts will determine. I, I think it's a... I think he's, he's going to be he's going to have a difficult time proving his case, but you know that's his case to prove. There's a, another aspect of his lawsuit, though, that I find incredibly interesting, especially, well, actually, especially in light of what one of the things that we had in our last news broadcast. You know, M- Melissa in her news broadcast was talking about how. In, in up in Green Bay at the United Casino, they are now they've cut this deal with the state that allows them to take bets on sporting events that you can't bet on like Wisconsin college teams or things like that. But in general, you can now go and you can wager on on sporting events. This there has been an explosion of sports betting across. The, the country. This is not an unusual sort of thing. Um, I have a story out of the Washington Post um, that, you know, starting in 2018, there used to be a federal ban on, on wagering. Um, that's, that's now gone. And the way it works now is that about 112 million Americans, almost a third of the population, can now legally wager on sports without leaving their, their couch. And about 50 million only have to get in their car and drive to a place to place an in-person bet. So you have all these different states that have now allowed in-person betting. You can drive to the United Casino. Or in many, many states, you know, what you can do is you, you can just... You, you can sit at your house and you can download the app and you can place bets over your phone. So sports betting is taking off in a big way. And a number of the, the major professional sports leagues have, have, you know, after years and years of saying, no, we don't want any part of this, they've realized that this is an incredible revenue stream because people want to do it. So they're, they're now in partnership with some of these things. You watch some of these shows, for example, on some of the sports networks, starting with ESPN, but there's others as well, and, and they've, got, they've got programs that are devoted to the, the betting line. And, you know, this is this is the smart wager, and this is it. You should take the over-under in this and these things. And they're actively promoting gambling, which is just this amazing thing because I, I'm not anti-gambling uh, necessarily. But, you know, back in the day, you had to go to Las Vegas or you had to do it illicitly through a bookie. And it wasn't something that you, you talked about, the lines and things like that. Well, well, now it's become this huge business, and the networks and the, um, the networks are cashing in, and the, the, the sports leagues are starting to cash in. So what does this have to do with Brian Flores' lawsuit? Well, as part of the allegations in his lawsuit, he claims, claims 
that the owner of the Miami Dolphins, for whom he worked, paid him or offered to pay him $100,000 per loss. Now, you might say, wait a second, Jeff, that doesn't make any sense. Football teams, you know, want to win. Why, why would you pay the coach money to lose? And, well, the reason is because the way the NFL works, that the, the team with the worst record gets the first pick in the next year's draft. It's not like the NBA where you have this draft lottery and your, your odds of getting the first pick are greater if you have the worst record, but it's not guaranteed. No, in the NFL, if you tank, you know, if you have the worst record, you're guaranteed to get the first pick. So the argument would be for some of these owners who know that their team isn't that good and, and know that, okay, the team's not going to be competitive this year. But you know what? If we lose a bunch of games this year and maybe even next year, we'll be able to get a lot of good draft picks and we'll be really, really competitive, you know, moving forward. So why why try to win if if there's what there's seventeen games, if our best case scenario is we, we might go five and twelve and we got no chance of making the playoffs at that Aren't we really better off maybe going two and fifteen and and getting guaranteeing ourselves a higher draft pick? So the allegation is that the owner of the Miami Dolphins offered Flores hundred thousand dollars a game for every game they lost, so they could be in a better position in the draft. All right, now I I, I tie this back in with like sports betting and stuff because you know you are always, I think, assuming that the team is going to try its best, right? Now, maybe sometimes a player is injured or something, so you hold them back or whatever, but you're always assuming that the team you're rooting for is going to do its its best to win instead of, okay, now we're paying the coach, if this is true. Now, the owner of the Dolphins denies this. So, again, that's another factual matter. But but if if this is true, that you've got NFL owners who are, actively incentivizing their teams to throw games. That's essentially what it is. This, to me, you know, we talk about how point shaving, you know, we know what point shaving is, where, you know, the, the spread is that the Bucks are supposed to win by, by 10, and so you have some player, who, I hate to use the Bucks as an example, team is supposed to win by 10, and so what happens You've got a player who's like on the take or whatever and misses a couple shots at the end, so the team only wins by seven, and it's it's a fixed game, so the betters end up you know winning. Well, that that's how it works. Well, okay, that's illegal. If if in fact you've got owners that are under the table encouraging coaches to lose games. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, that goes to the heart of, of the integrity of the game. And if something like that really did happen, whether it was done in Miami, there's some people who suggest it was done in Cleveland for a couple years to guarantee those first-round draft picks. If, if the owners really did decide to incentivize losing, I think those owners need to be out of the game. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, it's just that to me, like I say, it's like point shaving, except maybe it's it's even 
Maybe it's even worse because, for example, for the, for the betting public, you know, you and there's places where betting is legal. You don't know that the owners told the coach, "I want you to lose" when you're placing that bet. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If these allegations are true, and, I, and we don't know that, but if they're true, I think this is an incredibly big deal, and any owner who did this should not be part of any league. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss in a moment. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Look, I mean, this—if it's true—and again, that—that's an if. If it is true that owners of NFL teams are expressively saying to the coaches, "We'll give you a hundred thousand dollar bonus for every game that you lose," because. We want the team to stink this year, so we get higher draft picks, so maybe two years down the line it's better. That, that to me, is worse than point shaving, and any owner responsible for doing that, I, I think, needs to be out of the game. Let's start with John and Franklin. John, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, I mean, I'm like you. If it is true, if, that is if, yeah. absolutely dis- disgusting. I mean, that is one of the that is one of the worst. I mean, that puts what Pete Rose was doing in like Sunday school. I mean, it's, I think there should personally, and you might know how this works more than I do, but this should manifest in a courtroom with like charges. I mean, this is doing it from the top of the league like that is absolutely appalling. Right. You know, and, and I mean, I guess I look, there, there's some things that were, if you were, you know, there's one things where coaches are making decisions not to play people and, and stuff like that because maybe they're injured or you want to see what the younger person's going to do. I mean, there's all sorts of valid reasons for that. But if you've got the owner who's saying, okay, Jeff, here's the deal. You know, we know we're not going to be any good this year, so let's not tell anybody. Hush, hush, but I'm going to give you $100,000 for every game you lose. That That's just on so many levels, John. It's just flat out wrong. Oh, yeah. I mean, if if especially the, the thing, too. I mean, we've seen players do this in the past, I mean, on basically every sport. But, I mean, for the ownership to be doing this, coming from the yeah. bottom like that, I mean, if the coach is being told to run the ball on third and 15, I mean, that is just – got to feel bad right. for the fan base in Miami. I mean, that's just a crushing blow. Right. Absolutely. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Well, right, it's, it's a betrayal. It, it goes to the heart of the integrity of any game. It's one of the reasons why I, I think – even allegations like this might push the NFL to change the draft structure to maybe go to the model that the you know that that the NBA you know is 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 engaging in where it, it's not the, it's not the team with the worst record you know they have that ping pong ball thing and you know you, you go into the draft lottery and you end up taking your chances now look I I understand. For example, in Major League Baseball, it's in the middle of its lockout now. One of the big arguments, one of the things that has the union upset is that they believe that there's a lot of teams that are trying to lose. In other words, they're, they recognize that they can't compete with the best teams, so what they want to do is they want to do it as cheaply as possible. So they're not, you know, they're, they're not spending a bunch of money on, I don't know, a particular player who might help them win two or three more games. You know, that, that's, that's what the union's arguing. The union's saying, look, you, you got this team that's 
it, does it make any difference whether you lose, you know, 95 games or 99 games? And some of the teams are making a decision, hey, you know, we don't really care whether it's 95 or 99. We're not going to the World Series. So, you know, why why spend the money with a player who might help us win a couple more games? And so, again, it's that competitive balance thing that they are they're arguing about. But this is this is an intentional, you know, if it is true, you know, offer from the, the owner saying lose games. Jason in Watertown. Jason, you're in WPMJ. Hello. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Um, hi. I think it, it goes farther than that. If you go back to last year's Super Bowl and, you know, oh, Tom Brady goes to Tampa Bay and the, the Super Bowl just happens to be in Tampa Bay and Patrick Mahomes just forgot how to play football, and then it comes to this year that the Packers go, you know, a massive first drive and then forgot how to play football. You got Tom Brady goes out in the second round. Patrick Mahomes goes out in the second round. Uh, Aaron Rodgers goes out in his first round. This is all being steered by the NFL. And as far as I'm concerned, it comes down to this should go into the NFL as, as a whole, and it should be investigated by an outside source. Because if you let the NFL investigate this, yeah. none of this is going to come true. You know they're saving games. You know this is getting steered. The whole thing's getting steered. Well, Jason, thanks, thanks for going. I hope you're wrong. I, I mean, I, I just, I, I mean, no, no, no. That's a pretty strong accusation to say that, you know, that, that, that the whole thing is, is rigged. You used to hear that about the NBA a lot of times where, you know, the argument would be that, you know, there, there were certain players or certain teams that were favored and you, you always want to have the matchup between LA and New York or whatever that would, would be. So, I, I mean, I'm not going down that route, but this is a pretty significant allegation. Now, one of our texters says Brian Flores has access to grind and he's going to burn it down. He wasn't that that good of a coach and internally he wasn't very well liked and he's using race to lash out and, and that that may very well be the case look and I, I take I, again I take no position on the merits of his allegations other than the, the guy at Cleveland you know who is saying sort of the same thing now to me there might be a little bit more credibility if you raise some of these issues before you got fired as opposed to after they got fired but that doesn't mean that there's not something that's going on here and I mean again this this goes to the very heart of of the game and if we're going to say that Pete Rose got to be banned from baseball because he he bet on on his team against the rules. All right. Well, what does that say about owners who intentionally incentivized their teams losing? If in fact you're able to prove it, and if that's the the case. And again, I, I think that this is this is a really really serious set of allegations. And you know, because it does call into question the the whole integrity of the game and everybody. Whoever placed a, a legal wager on the Miami Dolphins in the last couple of years now has to be saying, "Wait a second, you know, we're, was was this one of the games that the coach was in line to get a hundred thousand dollars for if if he lost at the direction of the owner? If that's in fact true." All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's afternoon news.